Welcome, William, to the Performance Advantage Podcast, episode 35. This is the Performance Advantage Podcast where we talk about sports science and everything that matters for getting better. How's that sound? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, 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 that is a good You put one. me on the spot there to uh, kind of think yeah. about our new tagline. But yeah, and this week we've got a bit of a different show because we've broken it up into segments. So we've got the break power meter update, Will's training report, this week in sports that we talk about, discussion, and Matthew, a competition. Ah, uh, yes, yes. This is going to be good. I'm actually really interested to try the new segments because there's always things that we end up talking about. Like, obviously, we end up talking about Will's training. But now, like, you have your own special segment and you're not allowed to talk about it anywhere else. Oh, man. <laughs> I, found, I don't know, it's kind of like a catch-22. There's pros and cons. Yeah. No, but first, yeah, a word from our sponsors, Matt. Well, this week's episode is sponsored by EnduranceTrainingHub.com and SmartMTBTraining.com, where you can become a member and get all your training plans that you'll ever need. And you get the software, and you get all the articles, and you get the video content, and you get discounts to talking with a coach, it's still, it's a great deal. It's awesome. And links with Strava and Garmin. So, yeah. I mean, it's there's pretty much no, no manual inputs needed. You just get your training plan, sync it up, and you're good to go. Yeah, it's really awesome how far the software's come, actually, especially as a, you know, since I started using Strava, we talked about this. Um, I'm now on <laughs> Strava, and... Um, which has its pros and cons, but that actually syncs automatically, which is awesome. Um, so I didn't need to really learn anything new. It just syncs. Set it up to sync, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I'd, like, whether you use the Endurance Training Hub or Smart MTB Training or another platform, I'd, I'd really recommend using one of these training automatic, like automated online training diaries. Because the thing is, if you're using a GPS or some kind of device to record your training, you can link them up and it syncs straight away. So when you, even if you don't write anything or even look at it, you can at least go, man, I smashed that race. What was I doing in the few weeks leading up? Or like, for me, I love to look back at, you know, a year ago or before like a race and go, I actually, that build up didn't go as well as I thought it did. Um... But if you don't have like if you don't have those records and being online you can just scroll through like it makes it super easy. Yeah, sometimes I go home and look at my old training diaries which which were literally calendars and they they pretty much had no information. But at that time it was not possible to record your heart rate and upload it somewhere. You pretty much would have to go home, write in your training calendar or your diary what you did and for me it was pretty blasé records like 2 hour ride with Rob <laughs> And uh, yeah. it's much easier now, and it uploads automatically, which is makes things handy when you look back and change things. Yeah, you, you talk about the pros and cons of Strava. One of the pros uh, for me is when um, an athlete comes in, like, oh, yeah, I'm looking for a training plan. I can easily jump on to their Strava account and just have a look at what they've been doing, how hard they've been training, what kind of – I can look at their personal best. Like, it's all there. Yeah. And you can just go, you can easily, like the amount of experience we have working with athletes, you can you can pretty easily build the picture around 
who this person is or how they train, how much time they have before you've like even had sat down with them. You can just do a quick scroll. And so that's where training dives, I think, are just really valuable. Yeah, that's right. We can do a way better job. I recently built a custom training plan for an athlete and he had done all his training on Zwift. So it was, you know, with heart rate and obviously power. So I was able to look back at every everything for like the last year and a half. And it was really clear for me what to do next. It, it was so handy and it just makes my job that much better. All right, Matthew, into our first segment, what's happening with the brake power meter? Oh. So Matthew, if you don't know, has developed the world's first brake power meter for mountain biking. This is a device that measures the amount of braking you're doing in terms of energy. How would you describe it, Matthew? Well, it's the first way to quantify your skill when you're riding a bike. There's actually no way to quantify skill. We did a full episode on the brake power meter, and that was like, what was that, like six months ago or something? Or Six months? I don't know about that. It was a while ago. It was definitely a while ago, maybe episode nine or something. But we've come so far since then. So we're working on the software mostly. And maybe I shouldn't say too much about the software. But um, we did have a video come out with YouTuber Jeff Lenoski. I'm not sure if we mentioned that in the last episode. So if you haven't checked out the Trail Boss YouTube channel, check out the video that I did with Jeff. And we, um, we went to these trails. We had him and Jason go down the trail and we compared their braking throughout the whole trail. And at that time, I was just analyzing with some simple analyses that I was doing and then some visual analysis. And now that's all automated and it's super cool. So... Unfortunately, we weren't able to get that automation into the video, but um, it seems like every week there's just a new breakthrough with the software, and it, it's really exciting. Um, yeah. yeah, and that's why I wanted to add this uh, update in. Some people are pretty interested, Matt. Like, this is a world's first, and as it starts to be commercialized, things could be blowing up pretty big. And you heard it here first. You heard <laughs> this. You heard we're on the journey with you. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait till riders can use this, honestly. Like, it's been a long time working on it and i just want i just want people to go faster and have more fun and ride more safely and that's what this is all about so yeah it's pretty exciting awesome so for our first ever wills training report i think we have some excited you did something exciting over the weekend didn't you well last week i pretty much did everything i tell people not to do oh boy <laughs> you ate too much chocolate and um you did a lot of intervals um i only did one set of intervals which was planned uh the the rest of my training was pretty much in the gray zone oh, and no. it was way too hard oh so the week started off well so i am i was in week three of training after a break after the talpo 50k after like my two ultra marathons which went amazingly monday Normally have a big weekend, so Monday's an easy run. That went really well. Tuesday, uh, there's um there's a lady in town, Alice Mason. She's not necessarily qualified for the Olympics, but she is qualified to be selected for the Olympics. So if anyone has worked around uh, selection before, um, for national teams, Olympic teams, kind of thing, it's it's a long drawn out process. So anyway, she was fifth place at the Sydney uh, Marathon, which allowed her to now 
be on the long list, which then allows you to to be to hit a certain standard. So first of all, like within a selection, the national body says, who can hit these targets? Okay, if there's one person, they're going to work pretty closely with them to figure out how they can get them in the Olympics. Otherwise, maybe there's like 20 people and they go, okay, so now we're going to set this standard. Anyway, so she's there and she trains hard. There's no, <laughs> there's no two ways about it. So, so into Tuesday, went, went for a 15K run with her and I was like, oh, that was, that was tough. That was too hard, but no worries. Um, that's just, that's just how it was. The next day, uh, I had um, an interval session with uh, with one of my athletes because Matt, I'm doing a my first ever track meet event. I'm doing a five thousand meter up in Auckland, which is I'm super super excited about uh, to to see how fast I can run. But I'm sort of just doing it. I've placed it in my base phase, just as we'll talk about in the in the main topic of the week, base training. Um, so I was like, oh, I'll do some speed. Jumped in with this athlete and. Uh, and then um, you got got pretty carried away. Oh boy! <laughs> there was some targets that needed to be hit, and I went far beyond them. I uh, got got too carried away. So mistake number two. The next day, um, Ian, the athlete I was doing the intervals with, and then Alice had we'd teed up like another run, like a long run. So then I did a ninety-minute run after smashing myself at the track session the next morning. Track session in the evening. Did ten by two hundreds on two hundred recovery. They're all faster than I thought. Then was spent to be one one k, like all out, just to test to see where I was at, see what what I'd be doing. Went like a lot faster than I thought. Did three minutes flat on a grass track, and then I was like, yeah, let's do another one. <laughs> um, and then we did another. Yeah, so I was, and that was three oh three. So I was pretty stoked with that. Um. Then next morning, get up, get into 90-minute run. That was way too hard again. Friday was recovery day. And I was like, thank God. And then I had um, got offered an entry to the Xterra National Trail Running Champs. And there was some prize money. So I was like, oh, yeah, this could be a bit of fun. Like, let's see who turns up. And I didn't really have a plan. My main plan was, like, to get to the front of the race see what was like see if my body was responding or not and and to see if I could win some money get on the podium or just really see how I'd perform and what I'd hoped was that I was in amazing shape and I just did really well what I expected was what's happened in the past where you are really fit but you're not really fresh Mm. and you have we've talked about like the anaerobic capacity so just like your race fitness just isn't there. So I took off and everything was going well. I was in like the top three. So yeah, this is, and then we get into this climb, which is way longer than I thought. And then I really started to die. Oh no. And, um, oh man, then it was a half marathon distance. I did, you know, I was hoping, I was, oh yeah, it should be about an hour and a half. It's about a thousand meters of climbing. Oh. And it took about, it's, I still did like an hour 40 something, hour 43, I think. So it wasn't as bad as what it what I was thinking during it, but uh, yeah, that. So during that race, going up that climb, which took about an hour, um, I was like, 
thinking back about the Taupo 50k and the the 100k that I did you know that I had exceptional races at best races of my of my life I won both of them and I was like man being in form is something special mm. like when you've prepared you've you've got a game plan you've analyzed the course all your training is specified to that one race and the demands of that race and then you contrast that with this race I've decided to do two days out I've turned up you know I've kind of hoped it would go well kind of knowing that it wouldn't but then I'd set some like you know working with Jay who we've had on with this the mental skills I'd had some goals in place you know push myself enjoy myself like have fun uh, stay relaxed like it's not it's not the be all and end all so I was still able to enjoy it but at the point I was like really disappointed that I wasn't at the front of the race I wasn't like performing at my best and then and so I was like man being in form is something special and so I did a post about it it responded really well I was quite surprised maybe it's because it's that sick photo um <laughs> the, the on one of you media. lurking out of the stream is that the yeah. one? yeah <laughs> that's a good yeah. photo you um, look like you're in the pain cave which is obviously yeah and people and and I sort of just like described this feeling that I had of like you know I remember back when that was how I raced every single race I wasn't specifically prepared for it. I'd train reactively. I thought I could perform at every single race. I'd try and perform, like, be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to target this one. But then I'd do some lead-in races and, and then expect to perform at them and then didn't, so trained harder. And then, like, it was this vicious cycle of, like, disappointing races. Mm. And and really, that was my, my big takeaway. This week as well, I, like, I need to go back to the plan which is Tatawera Ultra in February and like I don't need to be doing all this shit right now you know like I have the plan the plan is easy base miles and you know you get drawn into training with others you get drawn into the competition of things and and before you know it you're you're not training how you should be for the long-term goal. Yeah, it's good to have goals. And when you focus on a goal, you can go into that event at your best. And that's what, what you want to feel fresh. And we talked about that in another episode. I was trying to find out which episode it was actually to send to someone about being fresh. And being fresh is just the thing that you want. Like, that's what makes you feel good. But you can only do it for so many events when you're training. Because when you're training, you're going to be tired sometimes. And that's okay. Yeah, and you know one of the other really good things about building up to a specific event? You know, I built up towards the Rotorua Marathon and the Hawke's Bay Marathon at the beginning of this year, around May. And they both went horribly. Not horribly, but they both didn't go well. And But the two half marathons I did in my lead up went amazingly. Like personal best, best ever. And because I had all my training structured around building up for these two marathons, I could look back and go, okay, this is where I went wrong. This needed to be a bit earlier. I need to recover a bit more here. So I had this plan in place. I put it in place and it didn't perform. Okay, now I know what I did wrong. Whereas if you're continuously like reactively training, like, oh, this didn't go well. I'll train harder or I'll train easier or like you don't have this plan to go back and go maybe if I'd continued to train harder or didn't like actually 
I work pick and stick, you know, trust the process. It's one of my hashtags. Hashtag trust the process. Oh, I thought you were going to say hashtag pick and sticks. <laughs> <laughs> so this week in sport, Will. Now, I know there's some controversial things happening. And they're fun to talk about. This week about. in sport? I don't know. There's probably bigger things in sport as a whole compared to the things we talk about. Oh, this week in sports that we talk about. Is that what we're going to call the segment? Good. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe we could. Hey. I think that's a good hey, name, actually. Like, have you ever a better name for this this segment? Call other than this week in sports that we talk about. <laughs> fire it, slide it in, in my DMs. Yeah, I actually like it. I really want to stick with that. So it <laughs> needs to be a really good name. So send us some really good suggestions. But this week in sports that we talk about, I know you had a controversial item. Controversial item to talk about. His name's Alberto Salazar. Tell us about this guy. Mm. Give us a little bit of a history. Brief history. Three words. Wow, okay. Tell us three words about him. Coach, Olympic, American. Okay. Well, I know it's going to be a mess. Carry on. What What about him? He is the, was, the coach of the Nike Oregon Project, uh, developer of some of the, like, athletes of Mo Farah, Gillian Rupp, like, Olympic medalist, gold medalist, two-time Gold medalist, 10,000, 5,000 meter. Uh, some of the world's best distance runners. And there'd been speculation around Alberto and his, uh, I guess, medical practices for performance enhancing for some years. And then finally, a couple of months ago, it all came out. It unraveled. He he was banned. Four-year ban. And for, he's since... A, for doping, right? Well, this is what I want to get into. I want to sort of clarify it because, you know, we live in a world where you read the headline and look at the photo. That's probably as far as you'll go into understanding the situation. That's true. So most people are thinking Alberto Salazar, you know, defied the World Anti-Doping Agency and just doped athletes blindly, blatantly, didn't um, give a care in the world. But what he's actually been banned for is around trafficking and administering testosterone. Uh, now, testosterone is a banned substance. Yeah, it sounds like doping to me. So you're really going to have to defend this it's, one. It's doping. Look, I'm not trying to defend the guy, okay. right? Like, he, I just want people to probably better understand, like, what is going on and why he's appealing. Like, I think it's really interesting that he's appealing it in the first place because like he's been caught red-handed everyone's coming out saying yeah <laughs> that, like there's some dodgy stuff going on he's a doper and yeah but it also highlights probably the doping um not community uh not rules like where we're at culture the culture in high performance sport as it stands now the testing is good the financial repercussions of getting caught are like very significant in terms of sponsorship and publicity and with the social media world we live in now. So people just aren't getting out there and and shooting up like EPO and steroids and things. It's just it their career would be over, they would be like stoned in the streets, 
virtually. So you're saying people this... aren't doping? No, I'm, I'm not saying that because that will still happen forever. But the culture now is around this this like gray zone of um, it's not illegal, but it's not moral. Okay, so, the, so we're talking like things that we can do to maybe increase testosterone but not necessarily take testosterone and grow a huge beard that's where we're at so you can um you know with the ep microdosing epo um testosterone cortisol some of these kind of drugs you get to the point where hey matt i'm gonna go do an altitude training camp and thrash myself now I'm in a compromised position where my my like blood um my EPO concentration is like dropping because I'm I'm training so hard and my plasma volumes diminishing and it's not like adapt to like the conditions so I'm in. So you need some sort of supplement to be able to recover and continue training. And yeah, and so like on my testosterone's dropping because I'm my cortisol's elevated because I'm like so because I'm training so hard, so if I take some testosterone, I get a test, it's back in the normal level, you know? It's not a big deal, is it, is it, is it? Because if you test me, nothing shows up. But how I got to that point is unfair and illegal. Okay, so we're talking about keeping our testosterone levels, for example, even, but to do this we smashed ourselves in training beyond what anyone else could do if they're not then taking exogenous testosterone that's it so you can right and the train and the method of taking testosterone is the illegal part Ooh, okay okay right so so alberto's been banned for an iv infusion for one trafficking testosterone because it's a banned substance and then two for administering testosterone via IV infusion to some of the athletes in the Nike Oregon project, which is as, as stable of athletes. So, so what he thought or what he was trying to do, and I'll read this quote from the panel who investigated him, because I think this is this is really interesting around what they had said. Sorry, I'm just trying to find it. Um, the panel notes that the respondent, who is who is Alberto Salazar, does not appear to have been motivated by any bad intention to commit violations. In fact, the panel found panel was struck by the amount of care generally taken by Salazar to ensure that whatever new technique or method or substance he was trying was lawful under the World Anti-Doping Code and USADA, which is um. USA anti-doping. The USADA's witness characterized him as the coach they heard from the most in respect to trying to ensure that he was complying with his obligations. So like he's try like he's trying to dope, but also trying to be within the letter of the law. Okay. Which like it turns out he wasn't, so he got his Yeah either okay. legal or moral compass confused here. But this is like, this is where I think people, when the media says, oh, this person was like fragrantly like doping his athletes. And the the panel of, the review panel of WADA um, and 
maybe CAS, the Court of Arbitration of Sport, have analyzed this and been like, look, this guy wasn't like... So you're saying that he just kind of accidentally got caught injecting someone when really he shouldn't have been injecting them. He should have really been doing... Well, no, his his doctor... Oh, I can definitely call him Dr. Brown. Jeffrey Brown, I'm right. Yeah. Dr. Jeffrey Brown is the one doing the infusions. And obviously, like, you need a doctor, right, to get the prescriptions. Um, and then they were also uh, said to be, um, you know, exchanging information, like private uh, patient information um, between coaches and doctors and consultants without the, um, like... Without consent. Allowance consent uh, from the athletes okay. so that's not putting the athletes well-being at at the forefront so whether this is alberto or not i just want to bring this up to because i think this is where doping is in sport at the moment i mean people go like can i believe what i'm seeing and like how artificial are the performances that we're seeing and I personally, I think that this is where it's at, where we're not having out and out cheaters like we had in the 90s and the 80s, maybe early 2000s even, like we saw with the Lance Armstrong thing. There's a whole culture of like just complete disrespect for the law. We have these new uh, era of doctors, like PhD scientists like ourselves going, you know what, if you take this, it's not illegal, but it'll give you the same results as if you took EPO. Yeah, that's where it's such a slippery slope because we know that there are supplements that we could take um, or illegal, you know, whether legal or not, that can improve our performance. And this is where it gets a bit gray, you know, because by all means, water is performance enhancing. If you exercise without water, and you look at your performance, and then you exercise again, and you instead have water instead of nothing, chances are that you will improve better with water. And then you take it a step further, you have a sports drink. You'll probably perform better with a sports drink. You take it another step further, well, you probably perform better if you take uh, dietary nitrates. You take it a step further, well, maybe actually you perform a little bit better if you took some EPO. So, right. So where, where do we draw that line? So as a coach, I like to not really touch on supplements really because we can't tell an athlete to take something because first off, we would need to do a lot of work, um, to figure out, to ensure that the things that we're recommending are safe for the athlete, which we can't ensure for every single thing that's out there. And we also, we have this obligation as a coach to ensure that we're not suggesting something that's illegal in competition so i like to really just not touch it and like well you know what okay gatorade is good anything else um i can tell you what the research says and what things are performance enhancing you know as far as dietary nitrate or um caffeine yeah caffeine um or uh, there was a one that i was talking about not that long ago i actually forget what it was called but i can tell you what the research says but i'm not going to say yeah buy this and use this because it's going to make you better 
So I usually try to not really bring it up with my athletes, and if it's something illegal, then like, nope, that's illegal. But luckily, I don't have to worry about that. Yeah, with the um, like pros or people racing in the elite fields, I require them to to tell me if they what they're taking and if they take start to take anything new, because sometimes these people are recommended stuff by other scientists, other like um, people, dietitians or nutritionists within a governing body, and you're like, well, I you know like your direct reflection like for an elite like the coach athlete relationships quite you know highly dependent so the two are very related and if you just happen to be coaching athlete, you didn't know they were taking some like sort of on the edge supplement because they just never really thought to tell you because it was just something they took as a recovery powder um and then there it was turns out it's tainted which has happened a lot uh you could be in a lot of trouble yeah we'd be under fire you know to work with an athlete that is doping you know as the coach so that's why we stay away from that like the plague really because it would ruin our careers and we don't want that because we like to do things clean by the book and everything like that so you know for a coach to be at the highest highest level and to have all kinds of support from nike and what have you he's not innocent if if he's even if he's trying to do things as cleanly as possible if he's overstepping the law, I don't think that's innocent. So whether or not he took as much care as possible, he still was infusing testosterone, which is, by the sounds of it, that's what he got caught for. So, I mean, that sounds like a guilty to me. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm no, I'm no jury, <laughs> but, but he... Yeah, that's the, that's the hard, like, I haven't been at that level of, like, uh, what would I mean? He's getting paid. I'd have to say millions of dollars. He's probably got um, you know huge bonuses. He's got a whole. He's got a whole like gym and like whole department of Nike, Nike Oregon project. Like at the home base of Nike, built around him. Um, and his main focus, like as a person, is to create faster runners mm. to create better athletes so i don't know where you start to to blur these lines of like like i don't know what the uh, external forces and pressures he has on him to try and do these things um yeah for for him like i'm not trying to defend it but i can see i, I can see yeah i can tell totally. how it's not it's not as like out and out negative yeah as as it's being portrayed yeah and like matt we tested some supplements in in the lab you know i during my ketosis study i like i have a degree in biochemistry so i you know they were saying oh ketone supplements work so i i went to a, a chemical supply manufacturer got one three butandiol which is just uh it's a ketone precursor that's metabolized in the liver to create beta hydroxybutyrate which is blood ketones um now i think you were there when i first tried i literally just had a chemical a bottle of chemicals that i poured in and i monitored my vitals and like and yeah, i was like where that was scary what is this what is like what do we do? like i had 
I had done the toxicology on it. Like I knew it was fine. I knew the, the metabolic pathways. And the main reason was I wanted to see if there was, if these people were claiming what they were claiming. Like it turns out ketone supplements don't provide any performance benefit in terms of my double blind study. But like we got to the point where I did a keto study, ketogenic study, saw a performance improvement and then other people had seen that as well. And then I've gone a step further and gone, what if we don't have to go through the, you know, the force of eliminating carbohydrate from your diet because there's, you know, training impacts towards that. Why don't we just like take this chemical or like ingest exogenous ketones? Yeah. Cool. Now, where's that line? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I guess. So this is, you know, what the way I see it is if you're not doing something illegal, it's legal. And that that is by definition, it's legal. So if by some method you are somehow flying under the radar and not doing something illegal, then you're fine, um, which is weird. And, you know, I think a lot of times people see someone who's fast and they're like oh right away they're like well i wonder what kind of supplements they're taking and i know you know at least for the athletes i take uh, that i work with they don't take anything like seamus has won five national championships and he doesn't even take a protein supplement he drinks like gatorade during races and he just eats meat and um cabbage you know so there's no (laughs) supplements going on there um but you know if you have funds and you have access to all this stuff, I can see how people kind of get trapped looking for these marginal gains, all different kinds of places, you know, because that's what competition does come down to. So if you're talking about someone who has the support from a big company like Nike, and they can do something that is more, maybe morally wrong, but also still legal, they're going to be on that fine line as much as possible. It just kind of makes sense. But until that, like, is their job right right nike doesn't nike wants to sell performance enhancing shoes i heard them referred to as the cheetah flies on instagram thought that was pretty funny and uh they want to have the best athletes so they employ someone go like nike's nike's not in the moral game they're in the selling kit making money for their shareholders game so some like i know i matt we're not like huge business people you've been around like some some big businesses with the brake power meter you know some of them might steal some some of your ideas but you know that there's no there's not a lot of moral compass going on in big big business so when they can have an athlete the gold medalist in their shoes that's going to account for you know, X millions of dollars. So it's kind of like, all right, did you say it's not illegal? Then it's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I can't speak for them, but these are just, well, you know. Yeah, I mean, I've had things stolen from me and um, people don't care. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but so, you know, as far as, you know, when you're a coach, you do it because you love it. And then I'm sure once you start getting paid the big bucks, it gets tough, especially to leave, you know, because if someone was suddenly like, hey, Matt, you can't just, you know, that that's enough. Like, you can't coach anymore. I'm like, why? Like, well, 
we think you maybe did something that you shouldn't have. But um, we'll just, um, you just can't do it anymore. What? What the heck? I love this. Like, I love coaching. You can't tell me I can't coach anymore. Be like, well, can I still work with, like, these people? Like, is that okay? Like, no. Like, you just can't coach anymore. Like, oh, well, what the heck am I going to do now? I love this. So, I can see, you know, from his point, he's like, well, there's a lot of money on the table. I really love what I do. I love working with athletes. I was only over the line a little bit. Like, I'm going to push, I'm going to see what, if I can get back into this game. And that, by the sounds of it, that's what he's trying to do now is to get back into coaching. Yeah. So going back onto the main topic uh, of discussion, really the, that he's appealing the ban. Yeah. Which I, yeah. And I guess, Matt, um, I was telling you before the show, like I just got a, a ticket um, for driving in a bus lane. And um, immediately I'm like, what? Like, because I didn't see any of the photos. I just got the infringement notice on in my in the mail. And I was like, this is bullshit. Like, <laughs> what? I I have not knowingly like been smashing up the bus lane, blocking buses. Like, why why have I got this this fine? You know, like I I'm gonna appeal it. I, how could I appeal it? Like, surely not. And uh, and and then. I went online and you put your infringement notice and there's like some photos of me <laughs> driving in the bus. Line. I actually, I, like I was telling you, it was, there's this big line of traffic and I was just trying to get around that. I wasn't like, see, I did it. Yeah. Like there's, there's photos of me doing it and I, I don't even recall that I, I wasn't doing it with malice. I wasn't trying to do it and I wanted to appeal it because I was like, well, like I was, there's such, there's this big line of traffic turning right. This is in New Zealand. It's turning right. I needed to go straight and I could just go around them within 10 seconds, a couple hundred meters in the bus lane and um, no buses, no traffic. Like it literally must have taken like 10 seconds. And how can I appeal this? Because but the, but the fact is like, here's the law. I was outside of it, not inside of it. So I just got to pay that fine. But I think if you if you have a different way of looking at what he's done, like we don't know all the facts no. of what, what he's been charged for. Maybe his doctor did a lot of it and he's going, look, mate, you'll take, and like my final is 150 bucks. It's, it's not my entire career. Mm. It's not millions of dollars and my reputation. Yeah. It's so you would probably appeal that. Yeah. If you think you were acting like like the panel says, you know, that they're, they're saying, Oh, you did this illegal stuff, but you also weren't trying to harm any of your athletes and trying to stay within the letter of the law. And maybe he was. Yeah. So it's like Yeah. You know, we we really have limited information on this because we weren't there at the trial or anything like that. So we really don't know what he was doing on the ground and we don't know what the doctor was doing. We don't know if the athletes led any of this or anything like that. Um so you know, we have to assume that he didn't try to do anything on purpose. Do we have to assume that? But he's been like, he's been charged. Well, via a panel. I don't know. Honestly, I just feel a bit bad for him. <laughs> <laughs> See, you've turned around. You were like, nah, stop this guy. I can't believe he is going to. Yeah. I can't believe he'd do it without. I guess the more I think like, about it, the more knowledge. I th think about like how much it would suck if someone suddenly took away what I love to do from me. 
And that must really suck for him. Well, especially if you were like you were on the edge and so you didn't really think that what you're doing was like like blood transfusions. You know, you're like, I'm not doing that shit. Yeah. I'm just trying to like if I can give these people more testosterone, they'll be healthier. They can train harder and be better athletes. Like that's my job as a coach, that's their job as an athlete everyone wins who's being who's like is this the victimless crime like if they're saying he's not acting in yeah the disinterest of the athlete he's actually trying to increase the health of the athletes and he's being charged for that i don't yeah i don't know well i don't know matt well that is this week in sports that we talk about (laughs) that's heavy yeah there's a lot yeah that's deeper than i thought it'd go all right, Matthew, topic of the week. Discussion of the week? Not sure. Base training. Yes. I've been waiting to talk about this. Have you? Yeah, I, I love talking about base training. Base training was my favorite thing to do, you know, when I was training. It was like, you know, you go out on really long rides, you don't go too hard, and you do it all again the next day. You eat a lot of food. The weather sometimes sucks, but... um. I just loved it. I just loved it. Yeah, I love it as well. And if people love to train, you know how, you know those athletes, they just love, they're just not even phased about racing. They just love to get out, get out in the outdoors and just, just get, you know, put in the hours. Um, Base training is that time. Yeah. Like I love it as well because you can, it doesn't matter if you put on a bit of weight. Generally you won't. No, because you're training too much. And you just, uh, you're not smashing yourself unless you're me last week. Um, and so you can just keep going. Yeah. You know, you just uh, you just keep trucking away. Yeah, base training is, is one of my favorites as well. So if you had to... But Matt, for... Oh. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm going to go. I'm going to go because I think we need to define base training. I was going to ask you. No, no, I won't ask you. I won't ask you. Will, can you please define base training? Like, what is it and it why be... do we do it? So it's a dedicated period of training of predominantly low intensity focused on volume and consistency. Hmm. I guess that would be how I'd describe it. Like it's a period of training where fitness and conditioning is the main goal. It's not re- it's not about preparing specifically to race a certain event. It's more about gaining a huge aerobic base of fitness before you enter into the next phase of training or a race season or um yeah the really the next phase of training okay so i think a lot of people when they think about base training they might think about what they the very first image that popped up if they type it into google it's usually like a pyramid and then the pyramid is separated into maybe three or four different levels and the one at the bottom is base training and then there's high intensity above that and then race specific fitness probably above that and if you look at the size of these different levels on the pyramid the base training is at the bottom and it's the biggest oh you're right it does is that what pops up googled it what pops pops up is people also ask what is base training how long is base training? When should I start base training? 
what is aerobic base training? Well, hopefully my article comes up because I recently wrote an article on base training for the modern mountain biker. Because, you know, mountain biking is hard and you usually just go out and you smash yourself for about an hour and a half. So a lot of people might think, well, how important is going out for a long, easy ride for my performance in mountain biking? So I had to write an article about it. It was really long. Um, it's gotten some great traction. Um, so hopefully that pops up when you Google it. If not, check out smartmtbtraining.com. Um, because I think base training for a mountain biker is where you can make the biggest, biggest gains. Just by going out there and doing easy rides consistently. Yep. So why? Why would, because I'm totally in a, in agreement with you on this one and I think for any athlete doing a, a dedicated period of base training and why don't we just look at some of these questions on on google what is how long is base training when should I start base training what is aerobic base training why don't you answer those Matt like why should we do it and how long should we do it like now for um, our northern hemisphere listeners they're definitely off season. Southern Hemisphere, like if we're looking at uh, a lot of the, there's a lot going on this summer, but for the most part, like nothing really kicks off till February, March. Yeah, that's right. So now is we're Christmas, New Year. You know, everyone's off. Southern Hemisphere, we've got the suns out. Good time to get into it. Yeah, pretty much everyone that I'm working with around the world is in some sort of base training phase right now, and you know, once you start racing, you're going hard a lot. And when you go hard a lot, we know you need to take some time to recover from that. So your training volume starts to reduce. So when you get into racing season, it's almost a little bit like too late to start doing those long, long rides. Because when you start mixing in long, long rides and really, really hard intensity, you start digging yourself a hole really, really quickly. So you need to make sure that you aren't doing too much. So that's why we do this thing called base training in the off season. And when we're doing high volume training at a low intensity, we're able to make a lot of adaptations that we really, really need later on down the track. So that way we can continue training hard and continue to improve throughout the season. So do, why don't you go ahead and talk about some of the adaptations that, that are happening when we're out and we train at an easy pace for a long time. It's a really good one that I haven't really thought of before that you had mentioned and that we do a lot of low intensity, long miles, a lot of volume at within the base phase. They could be 6 to 12 weeks. And you may not realize the adaptations at the time, but they have such high impact later down within your race season. Like in terms of the ability to maintain fitness while you're racing recovering doing high intensity training where you can't do you know four hour long exercise in the weekend and then maybe a couple three hours during the week plus like one to two hours every other day you have to do some high intensity stuff to prepare for the race which is the race in the weekend maybe one hour to three hours then you got to recover from the race and then then with the recovery and the high intensity you now have no time to train fitness so if you're already fit you're good to go 
So what's happening there? What's happening when we when we just smash up the miles, keep it low intensity? We're getting increased mitochondria. So within your muscles, what converts your oxygen and fuel like fat or carbs into mechanical work, like mechanical energy, that is, you know, the energy we, we move ourselves forward with, is done within the mitochondria. So the more mitochondria we have, the more efficient we can be. That means for every breath, we go further, we go faster. It's like, it's just a win-win, you know, and we also are using oxygen and fat. Those two, are at the base level, like at low intensity, are unlimited. Yeah. So if we can use more fat, as long as I can keep breathing, I can, you know, I can keep improving. Yeah. Uh, we get increased capillarization, so that's increased supply of fuel and oxygen to the working muscle so now you've got a better ability to utilize that those fuels and a better supply so like now you've got another one and the but the big thing that happens um, outside of like an increase in plasma volume as well which is increase in uh, the supply side of things is that if you start to train too hard you start to increase the acidity now matt you know lactate well it we've heard before that it it's your enemy but I, well it's not really our enemy but when our muscle becomes acidic and we're working at a high intensity with, there's also this lactate present but actually when we're training at this high intensity and there it's an acidic environment we just aren't as efficient at building mitochondria and more capillaries as we're exercising so that's why we keep the intensity down yeah, it's a really uh, good environment for promoting growth. Because you just think if you threw some, and I'm thinking about like these, thinking back to my uh, uh, biology undergrad, uh, one of the labs, and we were trying to grow bacteria. And if you squeeze lemon juice in there, it won't grow. It's too acidic. It's a you know, non-growth enhancing environment. But then if you keep it alkaline, they'll grow they'll just you know they'll if you live in a very well ventilated house like every house in new zealand with zero <laughs> insulation you know mold will grow it'll grow as long as it's got the got the right environment um and when we when we have an acidic environment from training too hard all the time we now like the there's your body has to and the muscle cells have to work to reduce that acidity to get the environment back alkaline back into a growth promoting environment and the work is then not being done to stimulate growth in the growth areas that we need so that's why a lot of the training is done aerobically and easy um, not only in the base phase but on the other sessions we do outside of our hard training sessions because if you go look i know bang for buck doing interval training gets me faster no doubt Definitely does. Absolutely. 100%. No one's going to argue that. I'll do them every day. Now we have a problem. Yeah. This, you know, now you, you have a constant acidic environment that is only going to decrease fitness. That's right. You just dig, start digging yourself a hole, and that's where, where you find yourself overtrained. And we've both been there. Like, we've both been overtrained. So we've actually both been in this period where we've done a lot of base training and we've started to see these amazing gains in our performance. 
like, oh my God, if I just continue doing my base training and then when I get into doing my intervals and start preparing for the season, I'm just absolutely going to be on fire. We've both been there. So we've both been feeling really great during this base training phase and then we've both been thinking about how great we're going to be once we start doing intervals and then we start doing the intervals and our performance start to decrease. So we do what everyone would do and what makes a lot of sense and that's do more intervals. And then we dig ourselves a hole. We've both been in that hole and it's a really, really hard hole to get out of. Yeah, it can be it can be hard going from doing whatever volume you're doing during your base. You know, it's it's easy, it's sustainable. Maybe it's eight hours, maybe it's fifteen, maybe it's twenty. You're like, yep. And then you get into the season. Now your four hour, five hour ride in the weekend is replaced with a two hour race. And your two-hour session during the week is now replaced with a 45-60 minute interval session. And immediately you've taken about four hours, three to four hours off of your training. And so you see that number at the end of the week and you go, oh geez, like that, that's, I was doing 20, now I'm doing 17. Or I was doing, you know, 10 and now I'm doing seven. This is, that's a direct reflection of my fitness. Um that can be hard so you go oh maybe if i can try and do everything and that is that's a, a big trap but if you are able to do those 10 12 15 hour weeks each week for a couple months three months ideally i've seen the best results you then can afford to do a lot less training a lot more high intensity during the season and maintain fitness yeah you don't have to try and maintain your fitness. Yeah, that's... you can build on that large base you've developed, and that's why we use, that's why we do base training. So I don't know about you, Will, but a lot of times I've seen athletes start to produce some of their best performances in our field tests during the base training phase. And have you have you seen that kind of thing? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's sure. such a like it just doesn't make sense. Like I'm just training easy. How can my 10 minute time trial be better? And this is because when we think about high intensity performances, we're thinking that we need to go hard to improve those performances, but that's actually just not the case. What we can do is well to actually to get better at doing high intensity performance, we need to be able to rely on our low intensity ability for as long as possible. So when we're in the base training phase, we're training our ability to go easy and we're just getting better and better and better at going easy. So what that's doing is it's raising our critical power. It's raising the level of intensity that we can sustain forever. So that means when we get out to do this high intensity effort, we're just able to push the level up that much higher. Then when we think about something like mountain biking and why you might be able to perform really well when you're doing base training is because your performance in mountain biking is dependent on how quickly you can recover between hard efforts. This this would be a lot like trail running, or a lot like an ultra running, where you need to maybe go a little bit harder up a hill, and then you have a little bit of a recovery down the hill. So your your performance in those repeat effort races or competitions or performances in general are based on how quickly you can recover between those efforts. And that's where base training becomes absolutely super important. 
and our ability to mobilize fat as fuel and our ability to just recover between those efforts, that's when it's all happening is in that base training phase. When we see these uh, like personal best performances or near season best performances within the base training, I do this as well. I I forget that I did just train all year as well and I've just come off a racing block. We like like what we do during the week where you go, all right, Monday is a fresh week. Um, you think like miraculously last seven days of training didn't count towards fatigue. Um, that happens is what you do this whole season. It goes amazingly. You get back into training. After like a month, you do a couple of tests just to see where, we, where you're at. And you're like, just as good? Like, how did that happen? I haven't done anything. Oh, except for the last three years of seasons of training. <laughs> um, so that like, and it shows you, I th- think it's like super important to show you how you can perform with easy training. Because like you say, it's, you know, if you can put out 300 watts aerobically and then you train aerobically and you can do 350 watts, it only takes a few interval sessions to, if you know that you have a 150 watt buffer, like above base, that you can sustain for 20 minutes. 150 plus 300 is 450. Now if you're at 350, do a couple interval sessions, get that 150 capacity back. Now you're at 500. It's like, man, that's a way, that's huge. Massive performance enhancement purely from doing aerobic base training yeah and that's without that's without doing anything above you know within that if if, when i think about this i think about the critical power concept and that we have this limited amount of work that we can do above our sustainable critical power level and we can just by raising that level of the critical power we can actually increase to a certain extent the amount of work that we can do above it and even just by raising the critical power itself we're improving our performance overall so yeah it it just ends up being really really good and then when we do start to add in that high intensity that's when we you know we start to remember how to go hard you know because that is one of the things that intervals definitely teach you that going easy can't and i find i find that out um because i ride easy pretty much all the time and then when it comes time to go hard i'm like oh oh yeah yeah okay how hard can i go again like oh i should do those intervals actually and I will be away flying. Because it's just such a trap that people fall into where you forget that, or I'm not that you forget, a lot of people just aren't aware that it's it's really finite the amount of energy you can output above your critical power or your critical output, your critical run speed, your critical swim speed. Above that, there's like a certain capacity you can do and it's you can't really develop it that much. You know, we can work on different areas of that curve. Like if you, so it's the area under the curve. So if you can, you know, maybe we'll just target, we know you need a big one minute. So we can target that. Maybe you need a, maybe you don't need one minute, you know, like an ultra marathoner. They don't need big one minute powers of five minute. They need maybe like a good solid 10 minute power. Need to be able to recover. But if you've built that, if you're just thinking that's how you're going to get better at running a 5k, then you keep working that and that baseline is fixed. 
it might even be declining. And so your performances just start to wave along a little bit up, a little bit down, a little bit up. But if you are able to raise that base level that you then build that 20 minutes, that 30 minute, that one minute off of, you can then improve like significantly. Which, yeah, it's just, but it's a really hard concept, one to actually explain and understand because it is like, um, you know, biochemically and mathematically reasonably complex. And it makes sense that if you, when you race, it's really hard. So you should train really hard to make the hard stuff easier and faster. Like training, it just doesn't make sense, <laughs> Matthew. It's, you know, even just thinking about it, I'm like, oh, how the heck does that even work? That doesn't make sense. But it works. It works every time. It definitely works every time. You put an athlete through a base phase and you push them in terms of the volume that they can sustain, they get faster. I've actually never really seen it not work. Yeah. No, same here. I, I mean, that's, that's why I, I love to utilize heart rate to slow people down, to try and increase consistency. I've just had an athlete on a plan. She said to me, wow, my body is feeling so much better. Like, it's hard. She said it's hard to slow down. But if you're committed... And, the, and this is what we need to do. Like, you've got them, smartmtbtraining.com. I've got them on Endurance Training Hub. I've got a whole bunch of different base phase training plans. And it's not just easy. You can afford to go hard a couple times. Yeah. You know, 80-20, 80% easy, 20%, you know, harder or do whatever you want. Um, But it requires, a, it requires you to be committed to the goal and committed to the task at hand as opposed to doing like what I talked about in my training report, like reactive training mm -hmm. where you just are like, I need to be better at, at the next club race or the next bunch ride. And you're like, Oh, but I'm actually training for a race in four months, but I'm trying to perform now. Then, then yeah, you, you end up in no man's or no person's land. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. We were talking about uh, this a few weeks ago. We were like, well, you know what we should do is we should actually start to talk about our favorite interval sessions on the podcast because it feels like all we ever do is talk about going easy. And I almost think about our podcast is, you know, we talk about training, you know, 80 or 90% you go easy and then, you know, 10% maybe of the time you go hard. It's a bit like how our podcast goes. Like 99% of the time, we're talking about going easy because we feel so strongly about it and it's so underutilized. But then there is that small amount of time where you do need to go really, really hard. So I think <laughs> next week what we should do is we should talk about our favorite interval sessions. But we, I don't think I can stress enough how important this base training phase is and how beneficial just taking it easy can be. Yeah. Yep, totally. So I think 100%. if we were to give our listeners a challenge, I would say just try it. So try, give yourself six weeks and train with a base style training. You can still do your group ride, you know, on your Wednesday night group ride or your weekend group ride. But the rest of the time, just take it easy and gradually build up your volume as you go and just see what happens. Like the first thing I can absolutely 100% guarantee is that you're not going to get slower. So in that, it is definitely worth a try. The other thing I can definitely guarantee is you're not going to feel worse 
So just because of that, it is worth a try. And when when you're going easy, you really need to watch your intensity. So you're either using power or you're using heart rate and you're staying within that zone one to two. So try it. Do your group rides with your friends and see how you perform. Do a test beforehand, do a time trial, and then do a test afterwards and just see how it goes. Let us know. So we should have a check back in in six weeks. We can have our listeners yeah, call Yeah, I'll put in. a note. Will that be the new year? Well, maybe. Yep. Yeah. So you, new year, new you. Just do six weeks of base training, and you're gonna be you're gonna be solid. And if it doesn't work, well then, don't do it again. But I'm pretty <laughs> sure it'll work. It'll work. It'll, it'll feel work. a lot better. I, yeah. I mean, this is one of the reasons we started this podcast to try and um, educate and um, inform the the athletes out there of how you can potentially do things better. Well, it's because we've made so many mistakes. I've made all well, of these Well, we've also mistakes. seen the benefit. Like, I mean, I must have worked with, over the last few years, at least 100 different athletes in different capacities. And just, and I've also been exposed to a lot of other professional, like, um, especially, like, cyclists, pro tour, pro tour. Like, this is their job, cyclists. And it is crazy how easy they train. It is also crazy how much they train, but how easy it is. Yeah. You know, but then they'll post on Instagram the like ridiculous power outputs that they did in this interval session. And it's social media. We think that's what they do all the time. Yeah. It's much more fun to try and emulate a sweaty interval session than it is to emulate like a six hour bike ride in the rain. Yeah. By yourself yeah. when you got a flat tire yeah. as well. And you had to change that. And you just did the same thing yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> I guess there are You're some like, people oh, out there that want to see that. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. William? Yes, Matthew? I think this is what everyone's been waiting for. This is time to announce our new competition for the Performance Woo! Advantage podcast, where we give away free stuff. Yes. Yeah, this is awesome. Free stuff. Like, we, we really want to reward our listeners and say thank you for supporting us, because, you know, we don't get paid to do the podcast. We... We do this because we feel like it's part of our job, working with athletes, helping athletes improve their performance, and educating athletes. So we really see this as our mission, is to help you perform. But, you know, we couldn't really do the podcast if we weren't growing and we weren't getting listeners, so we want to be able to reward you for listening. So that's why we have this competition. I think, were you going to give away the prize this time? Uh, yep, so I'm sponsored uh, by Selming Sports, which is a Swedish sports company. I'm sponsored predominantly by the running arm, but I do get a few of their other goodies. Uh, one of them's a backpack, so I pretty much have my whole Performance Advantage Endurance Training Hub mobile office in that backpack. It's I've seen this backpack, actually. Like 50 centimeters by 30 or 40 centimeters uh it's super cool it's really cool backpack valued at 80 dollars, and we're just giving it away and we will ship it anywhere in the world yeah that's pretty sweet so shipping from new zealand isn't cheap but th- we're we're gonna do this and we're committed to this this uh, competition so all you have to do actually to enter into this competition is be either a member of endurance training or smartmtbtraining.com 
And what we're going to do is we're going to draw out of those names the winner of the weekly competition. I think that's super cool. So, so all you have to do it to win this competition is either be a member of EnduranceTrainingHub.com or SmartMTBTraining.com. In any capacity that we offer memberships, we still have a great deal going. So check it out. What we're going to do is we're going to pull your name out of random number generator and we're going to announce your name on the podcast. So you need to be listening for your name and then you need to send us an email and we will send you the prize. It's that easy. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty easy. Like you already listen to the podcast already. Most of you are already members of uh, our training platforms. So that's it. That's it. That's all you have to do. Also a great way for us to, um, you know, promote our sponsors um reward our listeners it's like a win-win all around it's one of those things where it's like it's just yeah pretty lucky situation to be in i think so get on that jump on you've got one week uh to to get on your membership and i've got a special deal that is ending uh sunday the i don't even know 24th of november just in case someone's listening to this in the future 24th november 2019 um so get on uh, and we'll catch you next week with uh, a whole bunch of new segments, no, same segments, potentially renamed if you slide in my DMs. No, we're keeping it. And this week in the sports that uh, we talk about, we're keeping it. All right, all right. All right, thanks, Matthew. You have a good week. See ya.